Welcome to Clear Eyes, Full Hearts, a podcast presentation of Cadence 13 in association with Black Barrel Media and Ritual Productions. This is an episode-by-episode look at the award-winning TV show Friday Night Lights created by Peter Berg. I am Stacey Orstano. I played Mindy Collette Riggins. And I'm Derek Phillips, and I play Billy Riggins. Our assumption is, of course, that you, our listeners, have already watched the show. But if you haven't already, go watch Friday Night Lights, which is currently streaming on Netflix and Peacock TV, because there will be spoilers in our podcast. And hey, you guys, we have merch. That's right. So go check out our brand new website designed by Eleanor Carez, who is at Eleanor Carez on Instagram. Our website is www.cleareyesfullheartspod.com. That's www.cleareyesfullheartspod.com. And every few weeks, we will do an audience participation episode just to answer your questions. So email us what you want to know at cleareyesfullheartspod at gmail.com today. You Guys, we are talking about season one, episode 13, Little Girl, I Want to Marry You. It was written by Jason Kadams and directed by Jeffrey Reiner. Here's our synopsis. Smash's mom makes a discovery that can destroy Smash's football dreams. Tyra confronts her mother's insecurities and Jason rethinks the seriousness of his relationship with Lila after Buddy sets Lila up on a date. Okay, so we have an amazing guest with us today, the ridiculously talented Liz Michael, who played Smash's mom, Karina Williams, a.k.a. Smash Mama, a.k.a. Mama Smash. So... Let's get into the highlights of this episode, and then we're going to come back and talk to Liz Michael. So, Stacey Orstano, Stacey, did you notice something interesting at the start of this episode? There was no slamming Sammy Mead. Coach has been commandeered by the ladies of the uh, Taylor family, and they're listening to some psychologist named Dr. Q instead. It's about time that they got rights to the radio station. I have to say that <laughs> on the sidelines that Coach finds out that even Coach McGill listens to Dr. Q. In fact, he says, I live by her. Oh, and then things get really serious really quickly in this episode because Mama Smash finds the roids that Smash has been taking and all hell breaks loose. Liz Michael just, she just crushes this scene. But we're going to talk to Liz about this scene and all the other scenes that she's in later in the show. So we'll skip on to, this is the first time that we have all the Colette ladies on camera together. Yes. What do you remember about shooting this scene at the diner? <laughs> Still nervous because I still didn't really have my footing, although I seemed a little more confident in this scene than last time. But I do remember that Dana was really eating a hamburger and we did a lot, mm -hmm. a lot of takes because it ended up being a long scene. And there was one time that like the first AD was like, okay, rolling. And Dana goes, oh God, don't say roll. She was like definitely about to puke from hamburger bread. <laughs> oh, fun stuff. One of the fun things about this episode just in general is watching, I mean, this is really like a, a guest star episode for the ages. Stellar performances across the board from Brad Leland, Liz Michael, Libby, Kevin, Rankin, Kevin Dana, yeah, Libby Valari, Dana Wheeler-Nicholson. Guest stars killing it. It really was. I mean, everyone across the board had a great episode. That's why we're going to rush through some of our highlights, guys, because it's way more important that we talk to Liz, but we want to talk mm -hmm. about some of the things that happen. Yeah. As we said, like Libby Valari is great. She plays Meridel, for those of you who don't know, but she's just amazing in this episode. I thought one of the things that happens is that Meridel wants Tammy to be part of her re-election team. But we also find out in this scene that Meridel is a lesbian. This storyline was fairly bold at the time when you think about it. I mean, gay marriage was still very much in the news daily, but it wasn't, there wasn't a Supreme Court ruling at this point in time mm -hmm. saying that gay marriage was legal. So it was kind of a 
a bold thing to have on Friday Night Lights back in 2007. We're so ahead of our time. Going on, Smash coming back home and telling his mom, you ruined my life. It's just, I get that the stakes are incredibly high for him. It's such just a quintessential teenager thing to say. I love it. It's one of the things that this show does so well. And I think I've talked about this before is how all these characters are three-dimensional. As I've described before numerous times, like Smash, When we first meet him, there's all this bravado and ego. And now we're seeing the layers of the onion being being peeled back, essentially. And we get to see who this character really is. And and I I think once we see all the weight that's on this kid's shoulders, it has us start to feel for him a little bit more. So all this stuff that's going on with Smash winds up creating this big hubbub in town because obviously the star running back's no longer going to be playing this Friday. So Coach has just finished a press conference and he's telling the media that Smash isn't going to play and that essentially it's a private matter. So guys, back off. But I, I just love this scene for one reason and one reason alone because Brad Leland, Buddy Garrity, he's just always got to be in the middle of everything. Buddy does, not Brad. But he comes in and he goes, listen, Eric, I cannot stand that you're dodging me <laughs> and that you're, that you're not telling me the truth here. And I'm hurt. It just, it's such a great Brad Leland moment. Him saying, I'm hurt by it. I think he was genuinely hurt. And then yeah, he also, he really too, is. he says, I'm the most inside man you have. And I'm like, yeah, buddy, kind of is. Yeah. He's but then it. he kind of like, he doesn't storm out of the room, but he kind of walks out like kicking the can because coach won't give him any details. Brad Leland, just honestly, like we were saying, all of the guest stars, Brad Leland nailed it in this episode. Just every, every moment was so, so important, so perfect. Just completely stellar performance by yeah. Brad Leland. I think Coach, so Gaius, Gaius, Smash goes over to Coach's house. Again, they keep getting these like knocks at the door at 11, 1130. It's completely Non-stop. insane. And they even react to it and say, if that's Buddy Garrity. And we're probably thinking it's probably Matt or something. Nope, it's yeah. Smash. And Coach telling him that, Smash's actions have affected his life and his family's life. And I think, I hope, because it hit me in a new way, that it finally hit Smash. And he's like, oh, I'm messing up everything with these actions. I think that's hopefully what makes him go and then apologize to his mother later on. Maybe I'm reading yeah. too much to it. No, but I think he's starting to realize that this, this cause and effect, his actions are having an effect not only on himself, but on everybody that, that he cares about and that he loves. So Smash goes home and he says to his mom, I've disgraced myself and I've disgraced my family. And then, and we'll talk to Liz about this later, but Mama Smash looks at him and says, I just wish you could be a kid sometimes. And like, I... I want that for Smash. I want him to have yeah. night out full of giggles and laughs and like ice cream and simple kid fun. I don't think we'll yeah. get that, but I want that. Yeah, the kids just got the weight of the world on his shoulders and a lot of, all these kids do. <sighs> and on to a, a lighter note. Ugh, yeah. This one's not light at all. This scene with Buddy and Jason that happens shortly after that. Buddy pulls into his driveway. Jason's sitting there waiting to talk to him. And Jason confronts Buddy on the fact that Basically, Buddy was trying to set Lila up on a date with a family friend, that Ty Johnson guy. One of the things I love about this scene, though, is both Scott, who plays Jason Street, and Brad Leland, who plays Buddy Garrity. I mean, they put their cards out on the table. Street calls him out and says, you're basically trying to to end this relationship with me and your daughter. And Buddy Garrity says, I love you, Jason, but I'm just trying to protect Lila. I mean, she'd follow you into hell. Are you sure you want to lead her there? That's what he says. Just an intense scene, man. And it's one of those scenes, again, on Friday Night Lights where you can see both sides of the coin. You can in a pairing of two characters that you wouldn't necessarily put in a scene alone together and it just is complete gold. Keeping it super light. Nothing lighter than a father-son goodbye. Good Lord. This scene and then there's a Richard Buckner song playing underneath and I just, ugh, that one hit me. Especially like 
saying goodbye to a soldier and you know he's going off to war. I do love in all of this how much Julie's very much become a part of the Saracen family, though. That makes me happy. Yeah, and I mean, this is a weird thing to say, but shout out to the location scout for finding that little location to shoot at. It's got such a Texas vibe to it. I, I know I've discussed ad nauseum the, the 12th man theory that I have, but this is just another one of those moments where you go, that's just so quintessentially Texas. I grew up in Miami, Florida. I went to college in Texas, and I remember numerous times my roommate in college lived in Houston. So we would drive from Waco to Houston and you had to take this highway called Highway 6. And you would stop periodically on Highway 6 in all these little teeny small towns, one light towns where you'd have to stop and slow down to go like 30 miles an hour. And all these picturesque small towns, but also this idea is a guy who grew up in the city being like, who lives in these places? This little slice of Americana that a lot of these towns are they're kind of falling apart or, or, or no longer the, the way that they were back in the 50s. There's not much industry there. And Dylan's got that kind of vibe to it. And that, that exterior shot just, it hits me in that way. Whoever picked that location, that music, that mm-hmm. scene, it's one of those things that we've talked about, all the elements coming together once again. We need to make a 12th man t-shirt and it's just like, the shape of Texas and it says 12th man in it, maybe. I think maybe we need to. Another thing that was kind of cool, Stacey, and you and I had talked about this earlier, is the fact that Julie's basically now part of the Saracen family. I mean, she's there for all the big moments. This scene, here's some levity. This oh, thank, one. Thank God. Th- finally, some levity. Joey Oglesby was over at my place today, Stacy, and I was Aww. doing my notes on this episode and he walked in. For those of you who don't know, Joey Oglesby plays Guy Raston. Just think mutton chops. He's got the mutton chops and he's the guy who moves in with Tim in the second season. The ferret guy, some people call him. The ferret guy. But Joey came in and he's like, oh, are you doing notes on the show? And I said, yeah. And I said, but come here, watch this scene with me. And the two of us were just cackling, watching this scene with Amy and, uh, and Coach. It's really just... I mean, an exercise in simplicity as an actor from Kyle and Connie. But Tammy has decided she comes in and tells Coach that she's decided to work on Mayor Rodell's campaign. There's lots of snacking in this scene. Uh, <laughs> but there's one particular moment where Kyle just has this laugh because the two of them are arguing, but the love between them is so perfect. Anyone who's been in a relationship has had this argument before. And it's just really beautiful to watch these two play off of each other. Please just go back and rewatch that one scene. I know all of you guys, we've said, watch, rewatch the show with us. But if you just watch this scene, it's just, <laughs> oh, it's so good. It is very good. <laughs> and then Tyra, God, Tyra's working so, so hard to end this cycle of violence that's been in the Colette family, it seems for a, a very long time. And she tells our mother, my worst fear is to become you. And it made so much sense to me because when when Dana first came on, she and I had a long talk about what our goal is in this show is to show Tyra what she doesn't want to become. And it mm. seems that's exactly what Angela's doing at that moment. And Tyra's just, she needs to be better than we are. It goes back to what we were talking about previously is just breaking that cycle whether it's the cycle of violence or the, or the cycle of feeling like you need a man to be fulfilled. And so I think that that's what's really beautiful after that tire explodes on the highway and, and Tyra's like, no, we have to fix this. It's just a tire, but it's the symbolism behind that tire. It's the idea that we can do this on our own. We don't need a man to do this. So it's, a, it's, it's just an empowering scene. This episode's too good. And then, oh gosh, Buddy says he's already filled the receptionist position, but then he sees Angela Collette and all of a sudden, magic, it's not filled because my mom is beautiful. It's a great scene. I I mean, and Brad, he's just, Buddy Garrity's, of course, looking right at her shirt, which is showing a little cleavage. I mean, he looks right down there. Brad's not doing that. The character's doing that. I need to be clear about that. But Buddy just stares at her cleavage. (laughs) 
And he goes, I think he says something like, have you seen Pam? And he's like, yeah, come with me. And he takes her into the office, of course, because just doesn't want Pam to see this. This is a really beautiful moment that comes right after this scene. Coach and, and Smash leave the little party at Garrity Motors and head over to a place called Lenny's Diner, where Coach is talking about the line cook at the diner, who used to be a stud quarterback at Westerby, who wound up going to Notre Dame and then dropped out after his sophomore year. And this scene is just a reminder of how how fleeting the career of an athlete is. I mean, Coach is trying to teach these kids how to become men, while the whole entire culture of this town only really cares about what these boys can do on the field. That focus of being a good man and working hard and that things will fall into place, it's just a really powerful scene. It's gorgeous. And again, just it's simple. But this idea that that Smash had that he could cut corners or that he could take a shortcut and somehow get there. And Coach is saying, this is what happens when you cut corners. This is what happens when you take shortcuts. So this last scene, I definitely, I didn't fully remember this episode. I think I've, I think I may have seen a very long time ago. Definitely up there in my, my tops right now. God, it's so good. I really thought this was a breakup scene. It really seemed like Jason Mm -hmm. was saying, I, I can't do this. And then all of a sudden, it's a proposal, which granted, I should have paid more attention to the title because it was spelled out right there for me. And once again, the title of this episode is Little Girl, I Want to Marry You. Which, thank God he didn't call her Little Girl, though, because that would have ooged me out. Yeah, that would have been a little weird. But that is the end of our episode today. Well, not the end of our episode, at the end of our (laughs) recap of this episode. The episode is still going because we got a big, huge interview (laughs) right now coming up with Liz Michael. Stick around. Hey everyone, we're back with the amazingly talented Liz Michael, who plays Karina Williams, aka Mama Smash. She is one of my favorite actors, and more importantly, one of my favorite humans on the show. And we are very thrilled to have her with us today. Our listeners will also know Liz from her other work outside of FNL on such films as Miss Juneteenth, uh, Get On Up, the James Brown biopic starring the late great Chadwick Boseman, Viola Davis, and Dan Aykroyd, The Secret Life of Walter Mitty, opposite Ben Stiller, Kristen Wiig, and Katherine Hahn, and Welcome Home, Roscoe Jenkins with Martin Lawrence, Louis C.K., and James Earl Jones. She has guest starred on numerous television shows, including Dallas, Past Life, Sorted Lives, LAX, and Prison Break, just to name a few. And Liz has also appeared on Broadway in the musical Lysistrata Jones. And those of us in Texas know that Liz has been a fixture in the Dallas theater and jazz scene for more than 20 years. So Liz, thank you so much for taking the time to be with us today. Oh, I'm so grateful to be here. I just have to say, one of the reasons my show on Broadway didn't last, just it, you just proved that, Derek. It's Lysistrata Jones. Oh, it's <laughs> Lysistrata. But you should That's know why that. That's an old tragedy. It's Greek. Yeah, it's, it's yeah, a Greek Aristophanes. Comedy. Yeah, it's a Greek I'm familiar comedy. with my Greek people. Sort of. What happened to us, and I hate to, to detour as soon as we start, but <laughs> when we did the show here in Dallas, it was called Give it up, <laughs> and, which made good sense. You know, yeah. the ball boys wanted them to give it up. And when we got ready to go to New York, Douglas Carter Bean up and changed the name to Lissa Strata Jones. Nobody could pronounce it. Nobody knew what it was about. And it was it was a fabulous show. But we opened and closed in, in a month. So go on, let I want to take it back to the very beginning here. How did you get involved as an actor? What made you want to become an actor? Well, what's crazy is I was a dancer at Ballet Modern Jazz. I started out at five years old, formally training. I went to Booker T. Washington High School for the Visual and Performing Arts as a dancer. I started out in college as a dance major, and I grew to 6'1 at 13. 
Uh, so I was a freshman on point, taking all these dance classes multiple times a week and performing all over the place because I would wow the crowd, baby. They thought they had sized big, a uh, big girl up. But as soon as they turned the music on, they had never seen anything like it. Alyssa, uh, who? At any rate, <laughs> I'm the OG. Uh-huh. Um, but I, I switched my major my first semester. My dance instructor, Mel Purnell, danced with the Dance Theater of Harlem, and he brought in the founder, Arthur Mitchell, in to do a master class with his big stick. And, and mm. I was so hurt. And, you know, your, your ego and all of this, I was trying. I was, I was in there, but I just didn't feel my best. And then I started thinking, okay, do I want to do this for a living? I'll either have to choreograph or have my own dance company because they're not going to feature me in every show or I just wasn't going to be the third Negro on the left. I wanted to be on stage. Yeah. And so I changed my major to the theater and not even musical theater. Oh, wow. And (gasps) that was the beginnings. I met my mentor, Akeem Babatunde, in 1990. And it was for a musical. And they ended up not doing the musical. But when I met him, he kind of pulled me over to the side and said, hey, you're engaging, you're charismatic when you walk on stage, but you don't want anybody to dismiss you as Big Mama on the couch. You want to be taken seriously as an actor. And it was one of those moments. And I was like, oh, he's right. I've done the musical theater thing. I've, I've done this thing, but I really want to be taken seriously as a good actor. And that there, and he led me into the Dallas Theater Center and I've been there for 30 years. I'm just celebrating my 30th anniversary oh of being at the Dallas Theater Center. And wow. that's where I got my training, watching those people who had been on stage longer than I had been alive. Yeah. And it, yeah. Unbelievable. That's what made me want to do it. Were you singing still at a, at a young age? Like when did the, when did I, that I was singing choirs. I did not have the confidence to just start singing. My mother was trained operatically, even though my mother was a college professor and taught science. And I heard left and right brain, baby. I don't know how it worked, but she had this appreciation for arts. And here I came at three years old and started begging her to be a ballerina because I saw Swan Lake. And at five, she was like, okay, go ahead, do this thing. And I was just, you know how it is. It chooses you. You don't choose it. Yeah. And I was this young artist that would just gravitate to anything creative. So I I would sing, but I always thought I had to sing like my mom. And I didn't find my voice. I think I was in the sixth grade and I auditioned for the Disney version of Cinderella. And I was the fairy godmother. And then from there, I started, I wanted to sound like Barbara Streisand. (laughs) And for a while I did until all of the, the things that we do as adults got in the way. And now the voice, now I sound like Barry White. (laughs) <laughs> Liz, so, tell us, <laughs> I want to hear about your audition story for Friday Night Lights. Like, how did how did this show come about for you? Oh, they called me and another dear friend of mine. She's deceased now, uh, Renee Michelle. And we got in the, the uh, my handy dandy van with my daughter when I got the call to drive to Austin from Dallas to audition. And on the way, she's reading stuff. And she's so she's a nurse. So we ran to the Walmart and got, both of us were auditioning for the same part. We ran to the Walmart and got a scrub top because we were like, oh, she's a nurse. We got to put on some scrubs. And I remember going in and, and meeting Jeff. Mm-hmm. And, and, That's and Jeffrey uh, I mean, Reiner. Jerry, Jeffrey Reiner. 
And I remember we just started talking about, and at that time, my kids were teenagers. I had, you know, they were at all transitional ages. I have three daughters and the oldest two, I think one was 16, one was 13. And then I had a six-year-old. And so it was just like, oh, or maybe they were a little older, but honey, they were all over the place. And so we started talking about parenting. And before I even did the audition, he said, she's a parent. I said, I know very well what that is. I have three children and blah, 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 blah. Well, we talked about it. I left in, I left it in the room. My friend auditioned and she stayed in there far longer than I did. I just knew she had gotten it. So we got in the car and drove back to Dallas. You know, you tried to leave the auditions in the room. I was like, well, she booked that. I didn't know the extent of what the show was. Yeah. And so I guess about the next week, my agent called and said, well, there's there's uh, uh, some good news. You look like one of the kids, uh, but it, there's another actress up for it. And she looks like one of the kids. Little hmm. did I know I look like guys. Yeah. <laughs> I look like the kid. Uh, he looked like he could be my son. Then they called me back and told me, oh, well, you got it. But then I still was thinking, oh, they'll just show his family every once in a while. It won't be any big deal about his family. And maybe I didn't know it it. it it was Liz coming out of the box that very first episode. Jeffrey let me run because I was like, have you lost your mind? Wasn't even scripted. It just came out and he was like, keep it. We love it. That's great. I was literally about to ask you, like, what, what was scripted on that first day? What, what do mm-hmm. you remember? Because it, literally your character does come out of the box. I mean, I had it written down here in my notes. It's like mm-hmm. a whirlwind. It's like a hurricane. And Stacey and I have talked about this numerous times on our show. Look, the pilot is wonderful. It's great. But what makes Friday Night Lights, Friday Night Lights to me is all these tertiary characters. It's you, it's Dana Wheeler-Nicholson, it's Luann Luann Stevens, it's Brad Leland, all these local Texas actors that just add that flavor. Like the show in and of itself is a steak. You know what I mean? But this is like a marinated steak now with all the side, uh, with all the fixings and everything else. And it literally, it's like I said in my notes, I said, it's Hurricane Liz, man. Because you come on, (laughs) on the scene, the first line you have or literally one of the, it's not the first line you have, but one of the first lines you have is you say, I work at Planned Parenthood. You yeah. probably haven't seen the last of me. <laughs> oh, yeah. Tyra. Tyra. Now, Which, now that yeah. was scripted. House yeah. or never. Well, I'm telling you, I'm a mother of three daughters. Yeah. And you, we, yeah. we've, we've gone down through there. And I think that was the beauty of that scene, entering into it and to have that freedom from Jeffrey going in. And so the first thought that came to mind you know, I have two young girls coming in and you in here getting busy. Have you lost your mind? Yeah. And he was like, keep it. D- don't change a thing. Because my sensibilities as a mother just took over. <laughs> you know? So I-, I based a lot of that character of Karina on my sister and my mother and mm-hmm. being solid women, no nonsense women, hardworking, that wanted the best for their children. That's where I based her. And yeah, being that mother myself, you know? It's so funny because I'm looking at my notes and what you just said. I have in my notes, she's no nonsense woman. This woman has seen the world and what the world has to offer, both good and bad. And she isn't one to mince words. <laughs> <laughs> well, there you go. Well, there you go. But also going going into that, we had Gaius on the show recently and he huh? was saying how just automatically you guys had a relationship, like um, here, here. a maternal relationship. Did you guys have talk about it before or was it just instant on set? It seemed to be so instant and organic. Uh, From the moment I met him, I'm serious. We were in, I think I was in the makeup trailer and they Mm -hmm. said, oh, this is your son. And he walked in, he said, oh, you could be my mama. 
And we hugged and I don't even remember having a rehearsal, y'all. I really don't. And it just, I think because of, and you know, there's those types of things trickle down. I think because of the atmosphere that, that Jeffrey created there and I actually being in somebody's physical home where their DNA and their family sense was in there, in the atmosphere. It just, it was so organic. It, and it's also a testimony to Gaius and his givingness and his openness. It, it, I never felt as if, oh, I, I can't play or he's closed off or it, it was just a open heart from the beginning. So our hearts connected immediately. Yeah. And that, I mean, I can, I think we can all as actors speak to how important that is when you're working on a mm-hmm. scene. I mean, if that other actor is giving and is there and open to you, it just, you no longer are thinking about those insecurities that we all have and all that other stuff. You're just playing. You're connecting. You know? You're connecting yeah. and and you're telling the truth. Yeah. Oh, that's what it is. That's where the good stuff happens. Yeah. And I, yeah. I think that's why your guys' scenes ring so true. You know, I mean, that relationship, as you said, it's just, it's immediate. It, and that's, it, it always, it almost feels, because I've had to do these interviews before and people are like, so did you prepare a lot for this? And it's like, when it's that easy with the other person, there isn't really any preparation that needs to be done. I, I, you know, you want to read over your script so you can kind of stay in, yes. in the pocket. But the beauty of it was also that they allowed us this wiggle room of telling the truth and, and our interpretation of the truth. And, and that was, was where the heart came from. Because we were just yeah. telling the truth and being in it and being genuine. You didn't have to fabricate anything. And that was the beauty of yeah. that whole process. I wanted to go and talk about uh, one of the later episodes. I, I believe it's episode nine. And we we just had Gaius on the show, as I said. Uh, I, I and, love and that man. I love him. He's great. But this is the episode where we go back to Gatlin and we find out that Brian's father... Actually, you know what? I, I'm going to stop right there because I think that you and Noanny and your, your children are the only ones who call him Brian. Yeah. Does anyone else everybody call him Brian on the show? Everyone no, else calls him Smash. Everybody calls him Smash, Yeah. Was that scripted? Do you remember if that was scripted? Yeah, I I think it was very deliberate. But I'm going to tell you something. When I got that episode, you know, they send you the emails with the sides Uh or whatever. And when I read that, I went in my room and I cried. Yeah. Because I was like, this is about my family. Yeah. Like I said, when I first, I'll be in the stands or we'll have a meal or whatever. And when that episode came, I went, I just lost my mind. I said, oh my God, this is about us. This is our foundation here. And then the one-on-one that we had, you know, the blow up and then the makeup, it, it was just so special. That's, that's what I was going to ask you. And for the people at home, uh, in episode nine, what we learn is that Brian's father, Michael, was killed in a car accident. And not only was he killed in a car accident, but he was killed in this car accident. And he was seeing another woman at the time. Yeah, around. Yeah, he was actually in the car with this woman at the time of his death. And this is part of the reason why you packed up and moved the family out of Gatling to get away from those memories and to and move to Dylan. So was the first time you found out about that storyline when you read the script or had you yes. heard anything? Yeah, that I had never heard a thing about it. We were at the football games. We were at homecoming. Yeah. We were at the family gathering. We were at church. And so, like I said, when I read that, it blew my mind. And yeah. I, I started thinking, oh, this is a different level here. 
Mm-hmm. This is a this is a different turn. The Williams family, I think, elevated in people's minds then because they could see the foundation. They knew they kind of liked this, and but then they realized this woman has pulled herself away from horrible memories, hurt, pain, and still kept her children in church. She's she's making sure they're walking that line of being good human beings. It is interesting as a guest actor, we've talked about this before, that we're not necessarily in the know about where the storylines are going to go or what they're going to do. But knowing that that writer's room saw what you were doing and then entrusted you with the story that special, that's an amazing thing when you get that yeah. script. And you're I like, cry. Oh. And it's 100% a testament to you as an actress. I mean, like when we get, we all know when you go on these shows, it's a one episode gig or a two episode gig. And this wound up becoming, I don't know how many episodes you wound up doing on Friday Night Lights. But this was, I mean, it could have been a one episode, one and done. Yeah. yeah. Uh, And the fact that they wrote for you is testament to your talent, obviously. You know, I just want to discuss with y'all, if y'all's minds were as blown as mine was, the very first time I had a scene with either Connie or Kyle, my mind was blown, y'all. That Connie, when I, with the very first time we were ever on screen together was when I had to tell her that she was getting ready to have a baby. She was pregnant. Mm-hmm. Oh God. And when, we, when we got into that scene and I had been, you know, you're going to go down and get out of that. And she started in and I got chills over me. And I, I was like, okay, this is, this woman is badass right here. <laughs> I, I, you know, I'm thinking in my mind, but as an actor in the scene, I'm having to really, Hey, okay. It's going to be all right. You're okay that you're going to have. But I mean, my mind was alone and, and I felt the pressure and it wasn't pressure from anybody else but myself when I knew that I was going to be in a direct scene with Kyle. One of the, one of the storylines, one of the big storylines for Smash early in the first season and specifically this episode that we're going to get into and start talking about now is the steroid use. Um, so at the start of this episode, which is episode 13, you find his stash. And I, I, I don't know how else to describe it, but all hell breaks loose. I mean, oh, yeah. you go running into the locker room. You grab him by the arm. You drag him into coach's office. I just wanted to talk to you about what you remember shooting that scene, what you remember with Kyle. Because it's really the only time, honest to God, on this show that I can remember where there's a look of like intimidation in Kyle's eyes, in coach's eyes. Like, oh, God. Like, he's scared. And I don't think anyone else scares him on this show, except maybe you. And I said to Stacy, like, that's how you guest star, baby. <laughs> yep. Can I tell really you, is. seriously, I had worked myself up into a favorite pitch waiting for them to just say action. I was back there. I bet, and it's since memory. Like I said, I, I have a daughter that works and pushes all the buttons. <laughs> so my big so <laughs> all of that was in the forefront of my mind. And so literally, I was in a favorite pitch. I mean, they, the, the, the guys in the, the locker room told me they could feel the heat coming off of me when I said, come on. Yeah, I was so in it. And so and literally what you saw, the reaction on Kyle's face is because I stormed in there like a bull and got in his face. And I, well, I want to know what kind of team you're running here. And I was really... I had worked myself up into it. And that's why it was very sincere when he was like, I don't know what you're talking about. Yeah. <laughs> well, he hadn't rehearsed anything. Yeah, that's what I loved about Friday Night Lights. And what I love about Friday Night Lights to this day is that as actors, you're literally getting this kinesthetic response from the other person you're working across from because you haven't seen what they're going to do. You haven't done it 
15 different times from 20 different mm-hmm. angles mm-hmm. with a wide, a medium, a close-up. Mm-hmm. It's a legitimate, realistic response to what this other person is giving you. So if Kyle's eyes went wide like that, it's because you scared the crap out of him, I'm sure. I'm telling you. I'm There's telling also you. something really beautiful. I was sweating. If you could look, I got little sweat beads on my lip. Yeah, I, yeah. I was, I was mm-hmm. in it. There's something really beautiful that happens in that scene too. And it's the minute that Kyle says, and I can't remember exactly what he says, but along the lines of like, I had nothing to do with yeah, this. Yeah, I, I did not know. And the look that comes on your face is like, oh my God, my that, son did this. That is he that did this daughter. on his own. And your lips starts quivering. It's, <laughs> it's literally Liz. I mean, it is a, because I don't think that your character for an instant believed that, that Smash, that Brian was capable of doing something this stupid, I think you say, or, or whatever. Yeah, but these really kids think they're invincible. They're stupid. Yeah. I've been there before, and that's what I relied on. As being that mother, you're going to back your kid up. You're not going to mistreat my child. How dare you? How dare you? And then you got the fool at home. Yeah. So, have you lost your mind? What? So you did this? Yeah. yeah. And that's where that disbelief came in. I'm going to bat for you, and you are the one. That's where that came from. That's what I wanted to ask you guys earlier. And this is something that kind of flew past me earlier, went over my head. I, is, is this idea that when we start the show, Stacey and I talk about this all the time on the show, that it, one of the things that's so brilliant about Friday Night Lights is that all the characters are three-dimensional. And that was one of the things with like Smash very early on. He's got this massive bravado. But with you, we get to see this, this other side of him, this, this, the fact that this kid has all the weight of the world on his shoulders. And that he's just trying to provide you and your children a better life. And, and with that being said, there's two scenes later in this episode with you guys. It's right after, it, it, every time I watch them, it just knocks me on my ass. But this is the scene where Brian has just come home after you've had this big, huge blow up in coach's office. And he comes home and he says, you ruined my life, mom. And you, oh man, I'm going to start crying. Think about it. Oh, um, God. <laughs> and you say, no, son, I'm trying to save you. Sorry. <clears throat> no, I, I get it. Can you talk about that scene? and? If you remember, if you remember what was going on when he comes home well, in that moment, it's just I, I go back to what I always rely on is the truth. Yeah, and the raw honesty of a mother, and trying to say this this black man that the rest of the world is ready to destroy, and if you don't, if you don't go into the world prepared, and if I'm not doing everything as a mother too prepare you. I haven't done a good job. And I think it was just a mother's heart speaking to that baby. I get choked up. I thought I was the only one. Uh, and, 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 and I don't know, y'all, y'all can attest to this. Being in the room, being a part of it, knowing what we went through and what all, you know, everything that was involved. And then when you step back out and you watch some of these scenes and you get choked up, you're like, well, hell, I was there. Why am I crying now? Why am I, why do I feel this? But it's, it's, it's that raw human emotion and relationships and just being honest and meeting a heart from a heart. But that's all I can remember about that is, is trying to save my child's life. Cause the world ain't going to be kind to you, babe. Everybody, I used to tell my daughters this, everybody's not going to love you like I do. And, I, and if I do something, it's because I love you. I'm not trying to stop you from having fun, live your, your, the, the, the fun. Nobody loves to have fun more than I do. But I want you to be a good person in this world. Well, at the end of the day, 
when you close your eyes, I don't want you to have any regrets that you've hurt people. Don't do any harm. Just, just come on. And that, I think that was Karina's whole goal with all three of her kids. There's also the the end forgiveness scenes. Um, Smash comes in and says, I disgraced myself. I disgraced my family. And you're yeah. just trying to tell them this isn't, you, it's not on you to take care of yeah. us. And you said, I just want you to be a kid. And I was like, yeah. oh God, I want him to be a kid. Like, go have a fun night. Yeah, you don't have all this pressure on you. Yeah. I, and I love watching you play, but I just want you to be a kid. Ah, oh, just once. I'm a blubbering mess right now. <laughs> this is, you guys, this is our first interview where all three people have cried. So we did it. Oh Yay. My okay. <laughs> yeah, I got it. <laughs> so on a lighter note, <laughs> what do you remember being like some of your favorite memories of Friday Night Lights when we were filming the show, either on or off set? I mean, it doesn't matter to me, but what are some of your favorite moments from the early days of, of this show? I can remember one afternoon, Nico, who played my my youngest daughter and her mother invited all of us and we all went out to their house and had a barbecue and just sat around and talked and bonded away from the show and played with the dogs in the yard. And it was just, it was just stress-free and fun and family. And that's, I think, what I loved about the process of Friday Night Lights as a whole. There were no egos. No. There was no time that anybody... Uh, served attitude or, or didn't, wasn't grateful to be there. And that made it a labor of love. I, I tell people that all the time. And they said, what was the experience like? I said, it was a labor of love from everybody. And that's why I said it trickles down. Kyle, Connie, they could have come in and be, been in the star trailers and not, not relate to us. They were, they were I, it would be a joy to watch them, the practical jokes going back and forth, the jokes in the, in the makeup trailer. Yeah, I watched it. It was just, it was beautiful. It's beautiful. Yeah. We talk about that a lot, that it starts from the top down and from the top down from the show. It just was never about vanity. It was just about, like you said, telling the truth. Oh, this has been too much fun. Liz, actually, before we go, I've talked about this before on the podcast quickly, but I wanted to tell you when I was in high school, my dad came to me and said, there's a show going on that you have to come see. I don't remember if it was at Jubilee or at Circle in Fort Worth, but it was you playing Bessie Smith. Oh, Lord! <laughs> and I sobbed and I hugged you after the show and I've been in love with you since then. That was oh, 20 years yes. ago. Oh, it was more than that. Because I remember playing Bessie in 95. And my kid, I had just had her. So she wasn't even a year old. And I'll tell y'all something. Please, listeners, please do not think poorly of me. But that's when I started drinking Crown Royal. <laughs> I would take a big belt before I would go out on stage because Bessie Smith, when you saw her, the first time you saw her, she was already three sheets and she was asking for more before her recording session. She was like, I need some hooch. And so that gave me the, the impulse when I got on stage. And I, I don't drink when I do theater. I don't drink when I perform, unless it's at a nightclub. But, uh, <laughs> Absolutely. But, but no, when there when are lines and, and theater and, and TV and film, I just can't. I just can't imbibe. But I would take a, a big old swig before that show, and then I'd walk out. And so I, I really was connected with Bessie Smith at that point. It yeah. started so my you. love for means, Dallas Theater. That was all you. And that's going to bring you. me to our, our final question here. So uh -oh. where can our audience see you now? I, I mean, I know you're always doing stuff at Dallas, at Dallas Theater Center. Where can they see you next? Well, every Monday, I for the last seven years, 
with the exception of the lockdown months, I host a open mic at the Balcony Club, which is a historic jazz club in the Lakewood area of Dallas, 1825 Abrams Road. And we uh, that's it, it's been a great to give back to the community. It's, there's a live band and I host some incredible artists that come in every week. Some, some weeks we know who's coming. Some weeks you have no idea. All the way from mega professionals to super novices. And the stage is open. The vibe is cool. The love is in the room. It's a very giving vibe. So I do that every Monday starting at about 9, 30, 10 o'clock. And I make sure every single person that signs up gets a chance on the mic. In addition to that, like I said, I've just started my 30th season at the Dallas Theater Center. I'm not doing a Christmas carol this year, but I'm doing a new project that they're just starting. Artists in the community, along with Alex Oregon, myself and Alex, will go out into the community and do like 10 concerts around the Metroplex holiday concert. And then I'll start rehearsals the day after we start this concert tour for Our Town, and oh, nice. I've been cast yeah. as the stage manager in uh, Our no Town. So, oh, that's awesome. Yeah, I got a lot of work ahead of me, y'all. Yeah, you do. Oh, my God, <laughs> that's so amazing. So that's, that's in Dallas. Coming up in the spring, I'll be getting ready for a revival of 1776 that is geared to go back to Broadway. So next Oh, I didn't fall, know if we I'll were be, allowed to say that. Yay. Yeah, that, I... They sent the contract, so now <laughs> I haven't sent it back, but hey. uh, but it will be kicked off. The whole thing will under the direction of Diane Paulus, the Tony Award-winning director at the American Repertory Theater in Boston, in Cambridge, uh, Massachusetts, and we'll start that there in May next year. Run through July, and then we're heading to the Roundabout Theater on Broadway, okay. and it's a pretty exciting project. And so I'm very grateful to be connected with it. I play John Hancock. Oh, and, God. Um, I can't even handle uh, it. Her goal, and I can't speak for her, but I think her goal is to show the present day makeup of our beautiful country and the dream that we would have liked, hoped that the founding fathers were really having in mind when they say all men are created equal. And so mm-hmm. we're trying to show that reflection in 1776. That's awesome. Oh, Liz, you're having a a year. I love it. I'm so grateful. God is so good to me. This has been a joy. And I'm sorry, it's (laughs) been so hard to get me. You know, I was doing a world premiere at the theater center and we were just back to live audiences. And so it's been a thing, but I'm so glad we got, I'm so glad we had this time together. (laughs) (laughs) Okay, y'all, that is it for episode 13. But please join us next time when we unpack all the craziness that's going down in Dillon, Texas in episode 14. And until then, clear eyes. Full hearts. And blues. Clear Eyes, Full Hearts is a podcast presentation of Cadence 13 in association with Black Barrel Media and Ritual Productions. Executive producers are Stacey Oristano and Derek Phillips, Chris and Mandy Wimmer for Black Barrel Media, and Steve Walters for Ritual Productions. Our producer is Miranda Parham. Send your questions to clearEyesFullHeartsPod at gmail.com. Find us on social media. I'm Stacey Oristano on Twitter and Instagram. And I'm at Derek Phillips on Twitter and underscore Derek Phillips on Instagram. And check out our websites, ClearEyesFullHeartsPod.com, Cadence13.com, and BlackBarrelMedia.com. Thank you guys for listening, and we'll see you next week.